0: I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me today to uh, learn our faith together and to uh, just grow in a little bit of wisdom. And I must say that Bishop Sheen has a great wit and wisdom to him. So he's going to share a reflection on the United Nations. Uh, This is a program he gave in the 1950s on his television show, Your Life is Worth Living. And I think a lot of us look at what's going on in the world today and think, who's going to save us? who's going to get us out of this mess? Is it the United Nations? Is it our government? Uh, Who is going to save us? Well, we know that our Lord is the Savior, and we have to trust in Him. Uh, But we also have to trust in the church and what uh, the wisdom of the uh, fathers of the church, of course, the great writers, St. Augustine. uh, I mean, there are 33, now. no, 34 doctors of the church and uh, many fathers of the church, and you just have to go and read the old stuff, and you'll be surprised of what uh, you'll learn. Uh, Again, uh, trusted, trusted men and women who uh, guided us in the faith. And so he's going to give a reflection entitled, Authority and Infallibility, and speaking of the Pope. And so uh, it's going to be a great hour together with you today. So let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So please enjoy this reflection on the United Nations, given by the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen.
1: Friend. Last week when we were talking about property, we said that everything we received on this telecast went to the poor of the world, and then I just walked up to a to a camera and suggested that you give me a dime. And it was wonderful, the response that we received. Here, for example, is someone who sent us dimes in the form of Christmas trees. Say you're not allowed to photograph money, so you can just make quick shots, huh? That was a Christmas tree that somebody sent us from industrial steel. And the Ethel Corporation here on Fifth Avenue sent these. Proved to be a pretty good filling station.
0: And from Boston,
1: Western Union didn't send these by wire. They mailed them. Rome, New York sent this poem. We all love the faith you sell, not to mention the jokes you tell. We hope your idea rings the bell and keeps us all from going to hell. So, so accept these dimes with our good wishes. We hope they'll stretch like the loaves and fishes. And then uh, the Boston Health Department, V.H.D., that now means Bishop has dimes. And then there was someone else, the Ursuline, sent me this angel who has not the DR look, but the dime look, which is much better and more fashionable. Someone wanted to know, Know our address? Well, that's very easy. It's three sixty-six Fifth Avenue, (laughs) New York. Now I'll tell you where some of your dimes are going. Here are some pictures. Here, for example, is a school that we keep in Tanganyika. and here is a an eye clinic in Patna, India. And next is a leper colony ours in Africa. Last year we cared for 65 million people. About 90% of them were were non-Christian. I really don't know how to thank you. Really don't. I tell you what I will do. Tomorrow is my favorite feast day. For everybody who sent me a dime, for everybody who intends to send me a dime, Don't you feel foolish you didn't send one? (laughs) For everybody who intends to send me a dime, for everybody who sent me a dime, tomorrow I will spend two hours on my knees asking God to bless you in his way. Would it please you this evening if we talked about The United Nations. There are two views concerning the United Nations. One is fanaticism for it, and the other is almost a sheer bigotry against it. On the one hand, you'll find those who hold the United Nations as the sole hope for peace, and they regard every single criticism of the United Nations as a blasphemy. This, of course, is Gross exaggeration, the United Nations is a human institution. We must remember, too, that the League of Nations, which was also an international organization, had 211 treaties of peace signed the year before World War II broke out. Then, on the other hand, there are those who say that the United Nations is no good at all, that it ought to be abolished, that it is used only as a sounding board for Russian propaganda. Now this too is an extreme point of view because after all we're all of one blood and to have peace we must not just merely have a contract of one nation with another because such contracts are often directed against the third. We need some kind of an international organization in which all the nations will be bound together like the members of a body. Otherwise it would be impossible to have peace but at the same time, there could be changes in the United Nations. Article 108 provided for some rather natural changes, but nobody took advantage of Article 108. Article 109 provides for extraordinary revisions and plans to have the problem of revision come before the United Nations in September 1955. 1955. It is interesting that in 1945, Russia said that it was opposed to all revision, all changes. The old reactionaries, against all kinds of problems, Russia. And their opposition to any kind of change reminds me of a story I heard Harry Hirschfeld tell the other night. It was about our commuters in the Long Island Railroad that held all kinds of assistitudes in traveling. Man at heart, failures the stations. And the clergyman went up to him. He said, you're dying, my good man. He said, you know you're going either to heaven or hell. Think about it. He said, I don't care where I'm going as long as I don't have to change at Jamaica. (laughs) We're going to offer four changes, if we have time. The first is a very simple change. And the first change is to turn the United Nations upside down. Now, this is the way the United Nations is set up. On the top is the Security Council, which is made up of 11 members, five of whom are permanent. They just simply cannot be thrown off. They're the big boys. Great Britain, the United States. Soviet Russia, Nationalist China, and France. Beneath them is the General Assembly. The General Assembly is made up of about 200 nations, constituting a forum for discussion. They may present problems to the Superior Council, but they may not take action. In other words, the General Assembly is under the Superior Council. Our suggestion is to turn the United Nations upside down and put the General Assembly up here and put the Security Council at the bottom. Why? Because the General Assembly is made up of small nations. Small nations must depend upon justice, order, and law for their existence. The big nations can depend upon power, military, financial, and commercial. Let, therefore, the nations that are dependent upon law and order be in the United Nations, charged with legislation, charged with judicial faculties, and let the Security Council, which is made up of powers, execute the orders of the General Assembly, then we will have a peace that is rooted not in power, but a peace that is rooted in justice. <laughs> so it's that way in a family. A little boy in a family has his mitt stolen by another boy down the block. Tries to get it back, he's unable to. He says, I'll tell my big brother, Security Council is the big brother. Let them be told, let them get the myths back. <laughs> the second suggestion is much more elaborate. Give a vote in the United Nations only to free nations. Now this is a technical point but this is also a reasoning program so let us follow it through there is a difference between a nation and a state a nation is a people a community with a basic culture not necessarily the same language same ideals, the same hopes, the same customs, and the same common destiny. The state is a government. The state is a constitution. In the normal relationship between people, when they are free, the state is something that grows out of the nation. In other words, the people after a while found a government. Read the Constitution of the United States and you will find that it begins we the people do ordain and establish the Constitution of the United States. How could they do that? Because they were free to establish their own government. Now, what is happening in the world? There happens to be a power whose philosophy is totalitarian, whose aim is to establish world revolution. This Soviet power enters into a nation, destroys the state, the government, either from the outside or from the inside. The result is that it imposes a dictator. For example, Mao Zedong in China. Then, the dictator imposes himself upon the people. The relationship is very much like a gangster coming into a family, imposing himself upon the family, stealing the produce of the garden of the family, telling the little nine-year-old boy with a printing press that he is not allowed to print anything because he might print something against the gangster. Destroying freedom of religion by taking a religious symbol from a wall, And putting up there a picture of a dictator. In our present world, therefore, we have not states constituted by the people of the state. We have an imposition of a foreign power and a dictator imposed upon the people. With what result? With the result of the people of Poland, Latvia, Estonia, Hungary, Northern Korea, Northern Vietnam, China, and other countries behind the Iron Curtain have a government imposed upon them, they have never been free to choose their own representative. Why, it was only a few years ago when the people of Poland were represented by a professor from the University of Chicago. Did he represent the people of Poland? He did not. He represented someone else. Why not therefore bearing this distinction in mind, when the question of the revision of the Charter and the United Nations comes before the nations of the world, say that from this point on, no state will vote unless the people are free, and unless the government has been freely chosen by the people. How can the representatives, for example, of Poland and Hungary and Latvia and these other countries vote in the United Nations? Where do they get their freedom to vote? The people cannot vote. Let then the Security Council and the great nations of the world, the killer free, say that from this point on, it will only be free nations that will vote and not puppet states. May there arise some new Patrick Henry that will say, give liberty to the nations or death to Puppet take. Then in a very interesting revision, it has to do with the veto. Everybody knows about the veto. Now, as you know, in the Security Council, there are five great powers. Each of these five powers has, on substantive matters a right to veto any action of the Security Council, and therefore the United Nations. That means that it is possible to invalidate any ethical consideration, any diplomatic action on the part of the United Nations. Is that fair? Should there be a right of veto given to the five nations because they happen to be the five great powers? Let us see. Suppose you live in a village where there were five policemen, These five policemen correspond to these five great nations. Five policemen are charged with the protection of property and human life and the preservation of order. Suppose one of the policemen robs a bank and shoots the night watchman. Because he was originally one of the five policemen, Do you think he should have a right to veto prosecution, trial, arrest, and punishment? Then why should any of the five powers have it? They will because they are the five powers. Is it true that the five nations should have some superiority Yes. One must distinguish between economic and political superiority. Economically, of course, the five great powers are superior to the others, but because they are superior to the others, let that economic security be the superiority of responsibility. They must help keep the poor nations of the world But because they have the responsibility of their power and their wealth, politically they are no better than any other free nation of the world. A rich man in a village has more responsibility to the poor than a poor man, but when he goes to the polls, he has only one vote. And Russia has used the power of veto. Think of it 58 times. Hines has only 57 varieties of jam. (laughs) Russia's put it into 58 jam. (laughs) Little girl, hearing about all of these vetoes and all of the international problems resulting from it, prayed one night... He said, Dear Lord, please do not let Russia veto you, because if Russia vetoes you, dear God, we'll all be in the soup. (laughs) Those who are against any change uh, will be happy to know that this is the last suggestion, for want of time only. And this suggestion is that there be in the United Nations what is known as a quarantine. For example, in boxing, if a boxer is guilty of unsportsmanlike conduct, he may be exiled from holding a bout in certain states. In baseball, there is a very expressive gesture. (laughs) Hockey, a player can be put in a hot seat for two minutes. Football, throwing off the field or on sportsmanlike conduct on for the other sports. Now, should not politics play just as fair a game as the sport? And if, for example, there is any nation that disturbs the peace of the world, should it not be quarantined for a certain length of time? Just suppose, for example, that we had in the United Nations some such problem as this. Suppose Monaco. Monaco, which is a sovereign state and whose territory is three-fifths of a mile in extent and has a population of 20,000 people. Suppose that Monaco finally decided to attack Russia. Poor, helpless Russia. Russia, with only 8,708,000 square miles and with only 200 million people, do you not think that the United Nations should say to Monaco, because you have dared to attack these helpless people, you will sit on the sidelines for six months? And if Russia, Dares invade Korea, Vietnam, China, foremost, or any other free nation of the world, let the United States say, Petruska the Hawksy. <laughs> Where else in all the world do we allow a criminal, for example, that is guilty of rape? And of murder to come into a courtroom and sit down with the judge. Why then do we allow it in our international courts of justice? If the United States would be guilty of invading Canada, then the United States should be quarantined. The same goes for any other power. The little boy that was very obnoxious in an office discharged and someone came and said I'd like to have his job, I understand there's a vacancy. The boss said listen, he didn't leave a vacancy. (laughs) And you can say that with a certain big power that's destroying the freedom of the other people to the world. So that it resolved itself down to this. You cannot tie up for example, a bundle If you go into the bundle, you cannot pack a suitcase if you go into the suitcase. You cannot tie up ten pieces of chalk unless you're outside of the pieces of chalk. How then are we ever going to tie together all of the nations of the world except by something that is outside of the nations themselves? Never, by that I mean the sovereign law of God to which all nations are bound, and to which they must object even when the decision goes against them. And if we do not recognize this power, then we have to obey someone else's politicians. And heaven knows that if we do not obey our own politicians, we will not obey someone else's. The secret of peace was the message of Christmas. Glory to God in the highest, then peace
0: honor. Our sincere thanks to the Fulton J. Sheen Company who has given us permission to share these broadcasts with you today. I invite you to make Bishop Sheen a part of your family audio and video collection. You can call them toll free at one 357 4336 or visit the official website for purchasing Catholic family videos and DVDs of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen's recordings from the Catholic television series, Life is Worth Living. The web address is www.bishopsheen.com. You will find rare collections of Catholic family video recordings addressing a variety of topics such as morality, Mary the Mother of God, Angels, Catholic Holy Days, and other faith-based subjects. So call toll-free today, 1-866-357-4336. Again, 1-866-357-4336. And on the web, www.bishopsheen.com. And on behalf of Bishop Sheen, God love you. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and thank you once again for joining me for this hour of reflection from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. I hope you enjoyed that talk on the United Nations and now Let's get ready to attend catechism class with Bishop Shane. He will be talking about authority and infallibility. And so please enjoy this teaching.
1: Peace be to you. When I was a boy, I used to go out to a farm during the summer. And I often notice how chickens used to pet one another. At that time, I did not know the meaning of it. Then, just a few years ago, there appeared an article in Scientific America entitled The Peck Order. Some scientist, much more curious than I was, marked each chicken in the barnyard a little bit differently so he could spot them. And he noticed that there was a kind of a hierarchy and authority, a 400 among the chickens. And that when they lined up to eat, say, chicken 25 that lived on the wrong side of the tracks would always be at the far end, the last one to be fed, or else stay at the end of the barnyard. Then the chickens would begin to try and get into the 400. And chicken 22 would peck 21. And if 21 ran away, then 22 became 21. And this is now known in scientific order as the peck order of chickens. We know that it exists among human beings. We peck at one another in the business world to try to get ahead, trample upon one another. Monkeys do the same thing. Monkey trainers will always watch a group of monkeys to discover which one is the leader. Then they train the leader and all of the others follow. I say that this striving for authority is both in the animal kingdom and in the human order, but when the good Lord came to this earth, he did away with the peck order, and he introduced an entirely new principle, that the first should be last, And the most important should be the servant of all. We notice this in two incidents in the life of our blessed Lord. One was the night of the Last Supper. Here the twelve apostles were gathered about our blessed Lord, and he took off his outer robe, girded himself with a towel, and began washing the feet of the apostles. When he finished, he said, you call me Lord and Master, and you do well. I am your Lord and Master, but if I wash your feet, then you wash the feet of one another. And he said, Among the Gentiles, he who is greatest lords it over the others. He told his apostles to be the least. Here was the introduction of something new in the order of authority. Namely, authority is for service. and particularly those who are low and least. Then he introduced another idea after his resurrection. The scene was alongside of the Sea of Galilee the Sunday after the resurrection. There were seven men out in a boat fishing, and our blessed Lord appeared on the shore. John was the first to recognize our blessed Lord, and he said, it's the Lord. And the impetuous Peter dives into the sea, swims the hundred yards to the shore. Then if you read the scriptures carefully, you'll find that a few verses later, Peter is back in the boat again. Now, I wonder why he did that. He helps the others brag in the fishes. I think the reason is that when he came to the shore, he saw our blessed Lord standing near a fire. And that reminded him of another fire about ten days before. The fire in the courtyard of Caiaphas. And Peter then remembered that he had denied our Lord, so he got away from it. Now, when he comes back, our Lord now gives to Peter authority over the church. Our Lord had called himself the good shepherd. He now makes him a shepherd. As our Lord in the scripture is called the rock in the Old Testament many, many times, so he made Peter a little rock of his church. But what was the condition upon which he conferred authority upon Peter? What did he say before he gave authority, feed my lambs, feed my sheep? Three times he said, do your love, do your love. Do you love me more than these? And only after Peter said, Yes, Lord, I love you. Incidentally, the Greek word which St. Peter used was a very weak word. I love you in a kind of a human, natural way. Peter was not going to affirm greater love than he could now actually show. But the point is, that authority is not only for service. Authority is to be exercised because one loves. This was the new principle of authority introduced into the world. Service and love. Now a second point. How did our blessed Lord exercise his authority? And how did he propose to continue that authority through the centuries? First of all, how did he exercise his authority? He exercised his authority always through his human nature. Because you believed in the divinity of Christ... If you heard him speak, you would hear just human lips moving. But you would say it's the Son of God who speaks. So our Blessed Lord taught, He governed, He sanctified through this human nature, through this body of His. It was the instrument of His authority. Just as, for example, I write through a pencil. So he exercised his divine powers and communicated his truth through this human nature which he took from Mary. A step higher. He now proposes to communicate this power, this truth, this authority. And he communicates it to his apostles. And the apostles became his new body. Not a physical body. We sometimes call it a mystical body. And he wills to communicate now his truth, his authority, his power to his apostles whom he had chosen with Peter as the head. Now, our blessed Lord, who had said, I am the truth. Every other teacher said, here's the truth in this code, in this doctrine. Our Lord said, I am the truth. Now, to this body of the apostles, to his church, he said, My truth, I give to you. He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despises you, despises me. There was no doubt that he was communicating his truth. and his power he said all power is given to me in heaven and on earth he sends them out to teach all nations to forgive sins and bidding others to do all things that he had commanded so that just as once he was communicating his power through his own personal human nature, so now he's doing it through his corporate human nature, which is the church. Now, what was this church like at the beginning? Well, it was made up of the twelve apostles, with Peter as the head. Our Lord did not first choose Peter. And then the other 11. He chose the 12. And then he put Peter at the top. After all, everybody has to have a head. And he made him the rock of the church. So that the apostles are what might be called a college. College of Apostles. And Peter, who was the head, was the first vicar of Christ, the first pope. Our Lord said now that this truth and this power that He communicated to them was to continue even to the consummation of the world. Well, how has it continued? the bishops of the church are the continuators of the apostles. The pontiffs, the vicars of Christ, the popes are the successor of Peter. So that today, the church is governed by the college of the apostles, The college of bishops, what is called the collegiality of bishops, with Peter as their head. And they can no more do without Peter as their head than the apostles could have done without Peter as their head, because our blessed Lord named Peter as the head. Now let's take up the bishops. What are bishops anyway? Well, fortunately, I am talking to you through a record. And you do not know me well and do not judge the bishops of the church by me. But I will tell you what a bishop is. One of his functions is to be something like that curious list of names that appears in the genealogy of the human nature of our blessed Lord in the Gospel of Matthew. For example, Aminadab begot Nanon, Nanon begot Salmon, and so on and so forth. Remember all the begats in the Gospel. Now what was this? This long list of judges and kings and prophets and men of the Old Testament were a kind of a proof that our blessed Lord was the one who was expected through the centuries. These men are unimportant that are mentioned. They were not all good men. Some of them were very imperfect, but they just happened to belong to a family tree. And if you had ever challenged our blessed Lord and said, we know that the one who is to come belongs to the tribe of Judah and also is a descendant of Abraham, our blessed Lord would have pointed to his family tree, and he would say, there you are, there is the proof. I can show you my line. That was the purpose of these rather insignificant men. Now you come to the bishops. Who are they and what function do they perform? Well, one of their functions is this. They are witnesses in this century of the fact that the truth which they teach goes back to our blessed Lord himself. And you say, where did you get your authority? Suppose you ask me that. Where did you get your power to be a bishop? Well, I was consecrated in Rome by Cardinal Piazza. And I know who consecrated Cardinal Piazza, and I know that the one who consecrated Cardinal Piazza was in turn consecrated by Pope Pius X. And then from Pope Pius X, it's easy to go all the way back to Peter. So the bishops in this day and age, you see, fulfill somewhat the same function as this long genealogical line did in proving that our blessed Lord belonged to the royal Line of David. Now, that's not all of the functions, but this is rather important because well, we have a number of wires here in this room. And suppose the wire to which this microphone is attached was put within six inches of the electric outlet. Do you think that you would hear what I am saying? Suppose we put the wire 1,500 inches from the plug, or one inch. No current. Why? Too far away from the source. So if you want to know where does the truth, where does the authority of the church come from, you have to be able to follow the line. Follow the line of bishops. Follow them back to the dynamo, to the seat of power, to the seat of truth. Follow it back to Christ himself. And if anyone starts a church ten years after our blessed Lord ascended into heaven, too late, too late, no power, no energy. That's one of the functions of bishops. And the bishops, too, remember, are called to be shepherds. And going back to the authority of our blessed Lord, we do not belong to a peck order. We bishops are supposed to be servants. You laity are not our servants. Priests are not our servants. We're theirs. And we're not just administrators. We are shepherds. We can turn into administrators in an affluent, rich country, but that's not what the Lord wants us to be. We are to be shepherds. furthermore we are not just the head of a diocese we are first consecrated for the world then for the diocese then we are related one to another but just like your arms and your legs and all of the veins and vessels of your body would be useless unless you had a head we have no authority except in virtue of our communion with the head, who is the vicar of Christ, the successor of Peter. Without this, our authority is in vain. Now, you've heard much about the infallibility of the successor of Peter, the Pope. Honestly, if there's anything which people do not understand is this notion of infallibility, I heard one woman saying to another woman one day, oh, she said, you know, the Catholics believe that the Pope is omniscient. He knows all things. And the first woman said, oh, no, that isn't true. They don't believe he's omniscient. But she says they do believe that he is inflammable. Well, that's true. We do believe he's inflammable. And what does infallibility mean? Infallibility is not a personal gift. If you ever visit the Holy Father and you say to the Holy Father, I'm very interested in the stock market. Would you tell me if I should invest in General Motors? And suppose you said, Yes, I think General Motors is a good investment. Listen, that's no more infallible a statement than what I am making to you. He is infallible only when he functions as the head of the church. And I will mention some other conditions a little later on. Furthermore, infallibility is not a positive gift. It is a negative gift. Infallibility is taken from two Latin words, in and follower. Not to be mistaken, our blessed Lord said to Peter that the gates of hell, that is to say, the judgments of error and sin, would not touch him or his church. It's not a positive gift. He cannot, for example, make an infallible statement on literature or science, many people think that infallibility is like a faucet that the holy father goes to this great faucet of infallibility turns it on and the truth just pours out no that's not infallibility infallibility is a levy it's a levy that prevents the river of truth from overflowing and destroying the countryside The difference between a river and a swamp is that the swamp has no banks or limits, and the river has. And to be infallible, the Holy Father must fulfill three conditions. One, he must speak as the head of the church, that is to say, the head of the church composed of all of the bishops of the church. Secondly, he must speak on the subject of faith and morals, And thirdly, he must address himself to the entire church and not to any member of it or not to any one country. Many a pontiff goes through life without making one single infallible decision. Not a one. Now this is the authority of the church. And many people wonder, why is it we obey the church? After all, it's hard to obey some human beings that we see, but they are only the gloves inside is the hand of Christ. And we obey them because they are the representatives of Christ. We obey Christ. And that gives us tremendous amount of consolation to have divine truths in those things which concern the soul. For the world, well, the authority is they. Something anonymous. Everybody follows the styles. Or they say everybody's doing it. Oh, no. Right is right if nobody is right. and Wrong is wrong if everybody is wrong. And believe me, in this error-infested world, What we really need is a church and an authority that is right not when the world is right, but one that is right when the world is wrong.
0: You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and thank you once again for joining me for this edition of Your Life is Worth Living. I hope you enjoyed these two reflections on the United Nations and authority and infallibility. And you could re-listen to this broadcast uh, by visiting our website, and uh, you'll just click to the On Demand button uh, for Your Life is Worth Living program, and you will see our program list from Episode number one until this present program. So uh, we've got it all there for you uh, whenever you're ready. So to listen on demand. And so until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. You have been listening to Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith here on Radio
1: Maria Canada.